Uh, So this is part two of a four-week series we're calling I Was Made for This. And the whole goal of this series is to see how close we can get to God and how close we can get to our original design as human beings. And this week I need to shift gears just a little bit because I don't want to get too far down this worship road and have some, someone thinking, well, I'm not really a musician, I'm not really a singer, I don't really get into that stuff and think you're somehow exempt from this worship thing. Certainly last week proved that, but I don't someone, want someone to still say, well, I don't really get the thing where we all sing together and we clap and raise our hands and clap after every song. It just seems like worship is just a show for the musicians. Maybe you're even thinking, I don't even like music. In fact, the last good music anybody came out with was in 1973 when the Eagles released an 8-track of Desperado, and that's pretty much it, and I'd still have it today if it weren't laying on the side of the road, because I had to chuck it out the window after my 8-track player ate it. You didn't think I knew about that kind of stuff, did you? Well, I hope last week showed you just how important music is when it comes to worship, and I hope it showed you that it's also so much more. It's a connection between us and God that's relational, it's unmistakable, it's when our roots are, are planted so deeply in Christ that our sin and our shame disappear and we're overflowing with thankfulness. So that includes all of us. And I want to take uh, as many people as possible with me down this road to answer the question why worship should matter to you and you could be anybody and it matters to you. You could be a high schooler, you could be retired, you could be single, you could be married, okay, you could have a million dollars in the bank, you could have not enough gas money to get to work tomorrow, and I want to show you why worship matters to you, why it should become the driving force of your thoughts, okay? Everybody in this room should leave church today saying, I have got to get a handle on worship in my life. I've got to get this figured out in my life. So this week, In an attempt to show you that, I was going to give you five reasons why worship matters. But instead, I'm just going to give you three, and I'm going to give you two more next week. So this week's message and next week's message are one really big, long message that I've had to split into two parts. So today's going to kind of end abruptly, and we'll say to be continued, and you got to come back next week, and you got to come back next week to hear the rest of this message. Um, But here we go. The first reason worship matters It's because God is worthy. Maybe you've had a conversation like this. You invite someone to church, you know, Rockbrook Church, come to church with you. And they say, well, what kind of church is it? You say, well, it's the church that changed my life. It's made me who I am today. Yeah, but what kind of church is it? Well, we're about God and faith and scripture and grace and Jesus. Oh, so it's (laughs) non-denominational. No, not really, because we're not not something. We're very much something. I've been thinking about this. I heard it put this way. We're very much something. We are for someone. We're not here because we're mad at everybody else. We're not here because we didn't like the way anyone else was doing it. We're here because we're for God. And it's about God. And God is worthy. You see, the number one reason worship matters doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't do anything for me. It's about God, it's for God, and it's to God. 
the number one reason we make worship a priority here, why it's the ultimate purpose God made us for, why it's the priority of Scripture, and why it's the central priority in the heart and the mission of God is because God is worthy of all praise from all peoples, from all cultures of time. He is a worthy God. And that's why making sure we are worshiping God should move to the number one spot on our priority list. Because there's a worthy God. There's two realities going on. There's the reality I see, and there's the reality God sees. But we deceive ourselves and think that the world is made up of just what we see. Our little reality. And then we miss out on the ultimate reality, the presence of God. A place where there's no end. A place where there just aren't three dimensions. There's more dimensions than our human mind can comprehend. A place where time looks different than it does here. A place where there's no day or night. Where there are no limitations like we know on this earth. A place where in this moment, God has things the way he wants them and worship is going on. Tonight, you're going to park your car. The radio's going to turn off. The TV's going to turn off. You're going to put your phone on the charger. You're going to go to sleep. And your reality will come to a standstill. And God's reality will still be happening. And worship will still be going on. And someday we're going to fatigue from our mission. Our life will end. Our reality like we know it now will cease. And God's reality will still be happening and worship will still be going on. Worship is constantly happening. And at some point in our reality we've got to realize that there's another reality going on and get that into our vision and get that into our mind and get that into our thinking. See, every time throughout Scripture, we're given a glimpse into the economy of God where God has things the way He wants them. The room temperature is worship. There's an anthem. There's praise. There's a proclamation. Worthy is the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy. It will always be that way. It's always been that way. So if you really want to dial into reality, you've got to get that place a part of your thinking. Look at this scripture with me. It's so good. It's also, I've got so much scripture for you today. You're going to wish you brought a helmet today because the Bible's going to blow your mind. I saw a lot of bikes out there, and if you've got a helmet with you, you might want to put it on. So. A guy by the name of John was given a glimpse into heaven. And this is what he sees, and this is what he hears, and reports back to you and to me. In a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Don't miss this here. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. That's big. I mean, that's bigger than anything we've ever seen. That's bigger than the Beatles. That's bigger than Elvis. That's bigger than you too. Saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. That's how big, that's how epic this God is. And he goes and does the biggest act of humility existence has ever known and will ever know. Philippians 2.5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mind set as Christ Jesus, 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. From that vantage point, it's clear. He's a worthy God. I I didn't have room uh, in your outline for these scriptures, but the psalmist got it right. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Psalm 145, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. It's a huge statement. This sounds to me like a guy who's pushed worship to God up in his priority list, huh? Great is the Lord. Here's why, and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. So the little idols in my life, the little gods around, I can fathom those. I can pretty much figure them out. Not God. There's no end to his greatness. There's no bottom of the barrel. I can't fathom him. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. 
He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. So worship isn't about me. It's about God. It's to God and it's for God. And just a glimpse, just hearing about a God like this. No more golf claps in Jesus' name. And when God decides to turn someone's life around, no more just nods of approval. It's much greater than that. He's much more worthy than that. Let me give you the second reason. The second reason worship matters is because you are a worshiper. So we don't become worshipers when we become Christians. We have an internal mechanism that we can't stop and we can't control that is causing us to find something or someone and say to that person, you are the most important thing in my life. You can't avoid worship. No one can say, I'm an atheist. I'm not going to worship anything. No, everybody's got something on the throne. The process may be subconscious, But the end result is that you and I will determine by our time, our investments, our energy, our resources, our passions, this thing, this thing is the most important thing to me. So if worship doesn't matter to you, it's simply because you don't understand you're going to spend your entire life worshiping. And the greatest tragedy is that you could spend your entire worshiping life worshiping something less than the worthy, most high God. And that's why God likes to remind us who he is. Take a look at Deuteronomy 6 with me when God is giving his commands. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's worship. It's a relationship with God that's so vibrant. Come on, it takes some heart and soul. It takes a little bit of strength. Then he goes on to say, we should take every contingency to remember that he's the most high worthy God and that we should worship him alone. He says, do whatever you got to do. Write it wherever you got to write it. Put it wherever you got to put it. Teach it to your children. Don't forget that I am the one true God, most worthy of praise. That's why when Jesus was asked by this lawyer, hey, what's the greatest commandment? He didn't have to think about it. Okay, he didn't have to take a vote. He didn't have to go pray about it. He just answers right back. The greatest commandment is to love me with all you got. Worship me. Get close to me. In the chapter before this, in Deuteronomy 5, it repeats the Ten Commandments. So right before this, the Ten Commandments are being given, and they're actually being given for the second time. And look how it begins. It's... Beautiful. I mean, we think, oh man, the Ten Commandments, God's coming with the law, and God's going to tell us all the stuff we can't do, going to rain on my parade, it's going to make my life miserable. But look at this with me, it's so wonderful. Some of you have never seen it from this perspective before. Deuteronomy 5, 6, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Isn't that beautiful? He starts by reminding them, hello, God here. Remember me? 
Remember when you were uh, foreigners in another country making bricks? Remember when you were slaves? Remember the oppression? Remember the days of Pharaoh? Remember no hope? Remember how you got out of there? Yeah, that was me. Remember when it looked really bleak, but the stuttering guy shows up and then he leads you to the edge of the sea and then it looked really bad, but then he holds up this thing and the waters part and you walked across and then waters came in on your enemies. Yeah, that was me. Remember the food falling from the sky? Remember the pillar and the cloud of the pillar of fire? Yeah, that was me. Remember why you want water over a rock? Yeah, that was me. I mean, how could they forget? I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. And I got to tell you, I just feel pretty ignorant that God had to tell me that. Because I wasn't in Egypt, but I was in death. And I wasn't making bricks, but I was in sin. And God pulled me out. And he has to remind me that there should be no other gods before me. Notice he says, he doesn't say, uh, worship me or don't worship. That's not the option. The option is, and the command is, don't worship anything else. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and he should be a jealous God. He breathed the breath of life into me, and I'm taking up this little chunk of space in his universe for his purpose and his pleasure, for the pleasure of the creator who initiated my very being. And no, he doesn't need my worship to be thoroughly God today, but he desires my worship to be added to the anthem of praise, to be added to his reality. That's why I exist. He goes on to say, you shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That sounds harsh, but there's a comma. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So God began by saying, you're going to worship. It's going to happen You can't help it. And the best thing I could tell you is don't worship anything other than me. Don't put anything else on the throne. See, you and I, because we were made in the image of God, because we were made from God, we were created for a destiny that is as big as God himself. That's one of the biggest, that's one of the main messages of this church in fact, this afternoon at 1.30, we're doing our 301 Discovery event where Kenny Baum and the Growth Track team open the door and kind of get you started on this track of discovering your destiny in God. The spiritual gifts he gave you, the personality, the, the way he uniquely shaped you and your passions. See, we were not created to bump along through life just going from one thing to the next, to eke out some existence, barely making it through every day, having a bad attitude about everything, always wondering what's going on, frustrated, disappointed, down, and defeated all the time. Our lives are the invention of God. And we were created for a destiny that's as big as God. And when we choose to worship something else, we abandon that destiny And instantly we shrink and reduce our lives to something less than it was supposed to be. So worship matters to you because you are a worshiper. 
and your destiny's on the line, and you're going to worship somebody. The third reason worship matters is because there is a war over your worship. I'm not trying to uh, embellish this or like make this big statement to make a point or anything. There is a war going on over your worship. Remember when Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted uh, by the enemy? And this was like his preparation moment. Uh, So during the, the 40 days, the enemy is coming to him and tempting him. Now let's look at the last of the temptations. It's found in Matthew 4. And this is something that shines a lot of light onto our lives as worshipers. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. All this I'll give you if you bow down and worship me. So Jesus is in this place where he can see the surrounding areas. And we're led into a little theological insight here that the devil has some dominion over this earth. Not a final authority, but some dominion. And he says to Jesus, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all this. Now, what's fascinating about it is Jesus could have just said, well, I'm just going to take it from you. But he doesn't. Because he knew that there was going to be a spiritual battle on this earth for a season until it's over, before, uh, until Satan is vanquished and Jesus alone is king. But it wasn't time for that yet. In fact, Jesus hadn't died on the cross and suffered the penalty for our sins yet. So believe me, he knew there were a lot of tough days still to go. But somehow the offer was made to him to bow down to Satan. And remember, that's how this whole thing really got started. The enemy, Satan, wanted everyone to bow down to him. He wanted to be exalted. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Remember Job? Job in the Old Testament, the the enemy challenges God and says, you know, the only reason Job worships you and loves you is because you give him whatever he wants. And if his life wasn't so great, he'd curse you. He'd curse you right to your face. And God says, no, he loves me. He really loves me. I'm going to prove it to you. You can touch him, but you can't kill him. And we can shuffle that theological deck however we want. I can't believe God would do that. Well, he did. Well, that doesn't sound like a loving God. Well, God's glory was on the line. And there was a war going on over Job's worship, and he didn't know it. He just thought he was having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. (laughs) But could I just throw out this possibility to you? It's It's just possible that when you are having a very bad week or a very bad season, that there's a war going on. And it's just possible that a challenge went up to God. Oh, they're a Christian, really? Well, as soon as they hit a tough time, they're dropping you like a lead weight. Well, let's just find out. And we don't have to like it, but in the midst of it, we remember that God has not forsaken us. And he is exalted when we say, you are God, and I belong to you. Some of you know about Solomon. Uh, Solomon wrote a book in the Bible called Proverbs, and it's just packed full of wisdom and truth after wisdom and truth. 
Solomon was a king. He was the richest and wisest person really this world has ever known. And he also wrote another book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And in this book, we get a glimpse into what life is like for a person who literally has everything. Really, Job and Solomon, they kind of had the same thing happen to them, just with different implications. Job had everything taken away from him. He was the richest person in all the land. He had children, livestock, land, servants, money, houses, and it was all taken away. Job's loss was unimaginable. Solomon had the opposite happen to him and that his gain was unimaginable. I mean, we're talking wisdom, property, parties, gardens, servants, money, sex, all to an extreme that is seriously hard to even imagine. I mean, there's really nothing I could say that would over-exaggerate it or even do it justice. I mean, we're talking like parties for between 15 and 20,000 people. Gardens and landscaping so vast you couldn't see to the end of them. To this day, you could go to southwest Jerusalem and see uh, these craters in the earth that Solomon had dug, and they're called the Pools of Solomon. And they're not like pools to swim in. They were like these huge things of water so that he could irrigate and water his gardens. More like uh, these forests, actually more like these national parks. Then he bought and hired servants and servants and servants to the point where he didn't even have to lift a finger. And he got himself 700 wives and 300 concubines and had uninhibited sex. And this is what he says in Ecclesiastes 2, 10 through 11. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Here's what he did. He said, you think possessions satisfy? Let's find out. You think sex satisfies? Let's find out. You think a hobby is going to satisfy? Let's find out. You think fun satisfies? Let's find out. Let's just go all out and settle this once and for all and do it to an extreme no one will ever know again. Let's just figure this out. And he says, you know what? It was fun. I had a good time. But I'm still not satisfied. Nothing's really different. It's all meaningless. There was nothing gained. And at the end of the day, both Solomon sitting with everything, and Job, sitting with nothing, find themselves recognizing and worshiping God. Solomon said it this way, now all has been heard, here's the conclusion on the matter. He says, the experiment's over, here's what I came up with. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Job, sitting in a pile of ashes, says the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. This is why Solomon says in Proverbs, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may do something to insult God's holy name. Here's what I'm getting at. At the core of every gain or loss in your life, you will find the war over your worship. 
Within every compliment and every criticism, where respect is gained, where respect is taken away, within every pay cut, within every pay raise, in every subtraction, in every addition, you'll find at its core, at its root, the war for your worship. In every good thing, in every bad thing, in new life, and in death, at the core is the question, now what? Who do you worship now? Who do you love now? And somewhere up in heaven, there's, I told you, I told you they really love me. It's not because of anything they have or don't have. It's because I am the one true, worthy, most high God. I just wonder if the war over your worship has ever been the centerpiece of a heavenly conversation. Now, what I don't want to do here is give the devil too much credit. Because really, many of us are just, or we're just bending whichever way the world blows And we're just doing whatever we feel and we're just acting out on our flesh and the devil doesn't even really have to give us a second thought. But my point is simply this, that there are heaven-sized ramifications to your decision as to who or what you are going to worship. So guard it. Guard your worship. Make it the number one priority of your life. Guard your worship with your life. Don't let any idol, guy, girl, job, sex, money, possession rob you of your worship. Don't let any failure or accomplishment rob you from your opportunity to give God your worship. Don't let it rob you of the thing you were made to do. Don't let it rob you of your destiny. Don't let it rob God of the praise that is his alone. And if, there, if God is worthy and there was a revolt that happened in heaven, like a flat-out rebellion that happened in heaven, and now for this short time on earth, we decide whether we worship the God who delivered us out of slavery and death, or we will worship the idols of this world, in that choosing moment, wouldn't the primary objective of the enemy be to strike blows at the worthiness of God and turn the whole world to an idol? Don't tell me it's a coincidence that two-thirds of the world are bowing down to concrete, and wood, and brass. It's no coincidence that all over Asia, people are paying two bucks for a couple of flower stems to lay in front of a golden idol. It's no coincidence that in Bangkok, they're bowing on the streets to a big brass idol. It's no coincidence that people all over India And the world are making their pilgrimage to a river they think is going to save their soul. And it's no coincidence that our nation, the richest people group the world has ever known, still have to borrow to satisfy their materialism. It's no coincidence that we've just decided, well, we're only going to take, we're only going to accept what we see in our reality and what our human brain can comprehend. Satan is attacking the worth of God. He's directing the world to little idols. So we'll ignore the creator of the world and into this scene and into this war steps Jesus Christ. 
And when he hung on the cross, it was the first domino that fell in putting worship back in order. And he paid a heavy blow to deliver us from meaningless lives into the family of God, into the love and grace of God and a future with God and a destiny that is as big as God. Let's pray together. God, you are worthy of all honor, all praise, all glory, all worship. You are the most high God. And we bow our hearts before you. May there be none above you in our lives. Help us to rely on you and choose you above all else. With every head bowed, some of you here today, your story looks a little bit like Solomon's. And you've lived life just however you've wanted. But you're discovering that only God can truly satisfy. And it's time to surrender and be satisfied in God. And some of you, your story, or part of your story, looks a little bit like Job. And there's been a loss, and, and you don't know how you, how you can make it. But God is still worthy. He's still good. He will not forsake you. He's worthy of giving your life to you. And what I didn't tell you is that God blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. God didn't forsake Job. And God will restore what has been taken from you. And a great heavenly inheritance is being prepared for you. Do not give up. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard today. We believe. We believe in you. Help our unbelief. It's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.